Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, my guest today is Kenny Wyland, a self-proclaimed liberal, atheist, capitalist, and current culture warrior. Enjoy our chat about a mildly controversial topic that some of you may have heard about recently, critical race theory. Join us as he explains what it is and what it isn't. Should we be afraid of this or embrace it? So, man, thank you for coming on. And I, I'm glad you prompted me what, a couple of weeks ago about coming on and just talking about the whole critical race theory that's a buzz everywhere. And my objective, I think, is from talking to you is one, maybe to find out what the hell it is, because I think that's where a lot of this confusion comes from, from people on both sides is I don't know if people are clear about what it is. I'm I've done some research. I still don't know how to accurately describe it. So, so maybe tell, uh, tell everyone just kind of your, where your, your position, you know, in terms of politics, where you lie, where you, you know, your views and just so, you know, get it all, you know, full disclosure of who's who and what's what and, and go from that point. How's that sound? Sure. Sure. And uh, I appreciate you having me on again. Um, so to, for, for those who don't know me, the short version is I'm a liberal atheist geek. So I'm uh, everything that Fox News warned you about, but also uh, the opposite of that at the same time. So like, you know, uh, I'm, you know, I'm a, a god godless liberal hippie type of thing. I'm not actually hippie, but uh, I'm I'm also like a capitalist, and I have investments and rental properties and run my own <gasps> no, business. You didn't say you didn't just say capitalist, did you? Right. Like, oh, that's it. So, You're out of the club. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It's like I'm I'm everything they warned you about, but also the opposite. So, um, and I, I wanted to talk about critical race theory because, as you said, it's a buzz, right? And the and, and we can talk about what it is, but I also want to talk about why it's a buzz and why that matters. So, okay, um, I'm I'm no I'm no personal like academic expert in it, um, but I. Uh, I'm deep into politics and and follow these things closely, and so I figured this would just be a good uh, forum to you know just talk with you about it, and hopefully the people listening can maybe understand what's kind of going on with the whole critical race theory thing. So, okay. fair enough. Uh, the the most important thing to understand is that there's essentially two critical race theories. One is the actual one, and one is the thing that you keep hearing about in the news, okay? Um, and from like all of the, like all, all the political figureheads and whatnot. The, the real thing is um, it's, a, it's actually a legal theory, a theory in law studies, okay? It's not, it's not an elementary school thing. It's actually for law students and people in the, the legal field. The, the short version of it is that um, due to structural racism it, that it is sort of inherently built into the system as it built up over time, when we try to pass laws that uh, nowadays that are colorblind, right? We try to pass laws that are just neutrally applicable. Those don't go 
uh, those aren't able to actually address the uh, the problems of racial discrimination because since there are elements of racial discrimination sort of baked into the underlying um, into some of the underlying laws and and through a great deal of our history and passed through generation to generation that just offering a colorblind solution is doesn't necessarily go far enough or doesn't necessarily do a good enough job to actually achieve a colorblind effect that's so, what what would be like a colorblind law or some you know solution or what is it what's it what's a, an example of that sure sure uh, so um a we'll I'll, we'll talk a bit about this um later but I'll, so i'll just use this one as an example but like um, a voter id law let's say okay the law itself doesn't say and black people have to have you know voter id and white people don't right that that, that when i say a colorblind law i mean a law that doesn't that, that isn't restrictive based on race it doesn't mention race it's just supposedly neutrally applicable to everyone okay okay that's what so we wrote the law so that it doesn't reference race at all i.e it should apply equally to everyone okay but the problem be is that due to uh, you know discrimination that still exists in our society even though the law is supposedly neutral the actual practical effect is not okay um so that's that's kind of sort of in a nutshell what you know critical race theory it, it actually is and like i said it's not a thing that's taught in elementary school it's not a thing that's taught in public schools it's uh it, it started in the um well start, started primarily in the 90s but it was a bit earlier than that and it was essentially it's a legal theory it's it was about uh, among those in the profession of law who were talking about ways of combating discrimination and this was a this was one of the thoughts that that, that came up it's not even that um, massively widespread, okay? It's actually still kind of, fringe is too strong of a term, but it's still kind of an outlier in terms of uh, the, the, the theories that are, are used. So it's, it's not like everyone follows this pattern of thought in the legal profession type of thing. But the thing that uh, we all keep hearing about is a, a, uh, a it's a shadow critical race theory right it's a big scary monster that the boogeyman the you said you mentioned it. The yes right it's a boogeyman and okay. the and it and it comes from actually one guy and that's the weird thing that most people don't get so there's this uh there's this guy named christopher rufo and he essentially started this uh, the, the, this panic over uh, over this concept, and he liked it as a term because the term itself, taken out of context, sounds very scary. And he started getting a lot of you know because like critical sounds sounds scary, and you know like race that obviously is very touchy for a lot of people, and you know theory sounds very academic, and so folks that are uh, folks that are not not comfortable with you know the ivory tower academia and universities and them college edu educated peoples you know uh it 
it does a really good job of sticking in their their mind and triggering a bit of fear or you know fear of the unknown fear of you know what's going on but but i digress but so i wanted to to still talk about where where uh, this comes from so like i said christopher rufo he picked this up and he started talking about it and it started picking up some steam on like twitter and facebook and it got the attention of tucker carlson who brought christopher rufo on to talk about it okay and he brought him on uh i'm ready sure to write this down so like uh, i think september 2nd of 2020 and uh, and on on that show, like Rufo specifically called out to the White House and told Trump, you know, like, hey, this thing is invading uh, the like the federal government as well, and you have the power to issue an executive order to stop this thing from uh, infecting every everybody in in the uh, federal government. And the next day, Trump's chief of staff called Rufo and said that they wanted to do something and they flew him out to DC. And by September 23rd, they had worked with him and crafted an executive order for Trump to sign, which banned the teaching of critical race theory in any sort of federal, uh, federal trainings and education. And that was the snowball, or that was the start of the snowball. And then since that happened, it's been spreading and spreading and spreading 26 different states now have pa either passed laws or instituted new policies in the, from the executive branches of, this, of the state governments to ban critical race theory teaching in public schools, right? But it does, it's not in public schools. It's not a thing you teach, it's not, critical race theory is not a thing that is taught in schools, right? And so, that's why I wanted to talk about this is because this is a really fringe, uh, fr again, fringe is too strong. This is a, an outlier of a topic that exists primarily in the legal profession and it has been spun up into the latest moral panic that people are worried it's taking over and indoctrinating our children and all this kind of stuff. And it's, it, it's not a real it's not really happening the way that people are being told it's happening. But the perception is powerful. Right. Because it's some of the, <clears throat> some of the things I've seen that you look at it and you're like, Oh, that's, that's creepy that we shouldn't have that to some of the, you know, some of the, and you can, you know, search for about two seconds and find 400 different things in videos and people shouting down school boards. And so there's clearly a fear that something's happening. So is this is this boogeyman? Well, no, I mean, I I think I know where where you're trying to go, which is like, if uh, what what potentially is, like uh, are other p possible foundations for it, or like how it might actually be, you know, connected? Is the fear real? I mean, obviously the fears are real, but I don't think the fears are founded on a real thing. Um, you know, so one one of the examples I like to I like to give of let, 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 we're, we're, I'm going to be talking, I'm going to say critical race theory right now, but I'm saying it in um, the, 
like slang sense that people have started using it. Okay, what what it really means is just talking about our history in the country in this country of racism or sexism, etc. Okay, okay, because that's kind of right. That's kind of how people are using it. Is just we don't want our kids being taught that like white people are racist, right? Um, so the people like to uh, we like to celebrate and we like to talk about the you know, like women getting the right to vote in 1920, okay, with the 19th Amendment, right? But did did women really get the right to vote in 1920? I mean, really, in a practical sense, white women got the right to vote, but women of color are like still struggled for decades and decades and decades and are still struggling, right? Like the Voting Rights Act came along in 1965 because clearly it was like, there was still lots of problems, right? Like 18, we passed the 15th or ratified the 15th amendment in 1870, which was supposed to give everybody the right to vote regardless of race. And the 19th amendment to get the right to vote regardless of sex, but we're, we were still having problems in the 1960s and honestly, we're still having problems today. Um, so essentially just describing that is what I think a good history teacher can and should do to say, hey, look, we, you know, we were trying to live up better to our ideals, right? And we ratified the 19th amendment to give women the right to vote. Right, we, we ratified the 15th amendment to give people of color the right to vote, but we didn't necessarily live up to those ideals in practice. And so we had to keep improving and we had to keep making changes. And that's why we had things like the Voting Rights Act and moving, you know, and, and, and other legislation going forward to try to do a better job living up to our ideals. And I don't know, does that sound like a scary statement, <laughs> right? No, the way you've just described it, in fact, I came on here just to be fair, with my guard up just because you and I have bantered back and forth for years. And so, but the way you explained it, and now someone on the right will say, you just been co-opted by the left. <laughs> no, I'll get that. No, come but, on over. We have cookies. I know. I know. It's like, yeah, it's probably a, a nice party, but, um, but no, the, the way that is like, okay. In fact, I was just having a discussion with my daughter and my wife prior to coming on with you about, you know, what's the downside of looking at our history? I guess there isn't, you know, in that respect. And I guess, I guess well, keep, keep going. I'm, I have my thoughts, but I'll. No, I mean, I mean feel free to continue. I, obviously, I want to have a discussion. I want to know what you think about it, too. Yeah. Well, I, I just, I think the, the fears that I'm hearing from people is, and things that I've seen, and again, I don't, you know, me and my opinion of media. Or maybe you don't know my opinion of media is like I don't trust it on your side. Oh, oh, I do. I want to have a long conversation with you about that too. Because I just, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I just, my trust is gone, and I just, and I, it may be unfounded, but that's where I'm at at the moment. Because um, I just think people are um, agendas and on, on every side. I just, it's hard to trust for me. But yeah, that may that may be another topic for another time. But is that some of the, the some videos that I've seen is people saying that they're making race about everything. 
like putting racism into situations where it's not there, like creating like everything becomes racist. And to me, that sounds dangerous when, you know, like, cause I really like, you know, and, and maybe this is cliche too, but you know, Martin Luther King's content of character. How about we just judge everyone by the content of their character and not what they look like. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's, maybe that's oversimplifying it, but I think that's, I, that's what I've been seeing is the fears. People are like, that's, this is dangerous because it's pitting people against each other based on skin color. And again, that's, that's sure. some of the perceptions that are out there. Uh, and, and I, I've seen and heard those as well. And what I, what I try to say in response to those is that the, the goal, right, of being able to judge people on the content of their character and not the color of their skin is a goal that we all want. And it's, uh, it is actually the end goal of people who ascribe to the real critical race theory. But the thing is, is that if you, if you ignore, if we haven't gotten there yet, right? If we actually haven't actually gotten to real equality and you start ignoring the factor of race on everything and you try to be colorblind, you try to bleed, try to be race neutral and don't pay attention to it at all, then when you run into a problem that does actually have a racial component, then you're suddenly blind to that data. And when trying to put together a solution, you won't be able to come to the correct solution because you're missing one of the essential pieces of information, right? And I don't think we have reached equality. I don't think we have gotten rid of racial discrimination. I think that should be pretty clear to just about everybody. I know that it's not, but I feel like it should be. Um, and so I, I agree with the concept that in an ideal world, we shouldn't be paying attention to it at all. Okay. Yeah. And I want to get to that mm-hmm. ideal world, but we're not there yet. And so it's still an important input into the equation that we have to pay attention to. That's fair. And I remember, uh, one of the, um, one of the, the questions that I saw on, uh, on your Facebook oh, on the lead about up to this, this topic, sure, uh, was is a, a question about, you know, an example of laws that are like racially discriminatory. And uh, I definitely heard a lot of people, you know, ask for examples of this over the years, even before critical race theory became a big buzzword. Uh, and so there's a couple that I, that I have, but there's one, uh, especially one that I, I really want to talk about and talk a bit about in detail, because I think it is a, uh, is a good example of how these things can creep in without them being explicitly discriminatory. And so first, uh, I want, I want to make sure that we're at least on the same page or hopefully can understand the same page that a law can be racially discriminatory even if it doesn't explicitly reference race like you know we had right just talked about um because that's incredibly important you know the there's a level of overt racism where they just write into the law you know like and black people can't vote or whatever right right but you know and thankfully we've 
generally move like move, we've moved past those days, but we haven't gotten to the point where we have where people aren't racist anymore. And I mean, there are people making the laws who are still racist, right? We have politicians and legislators and that that are still racist. And even though they don't do it explicitly, they are still trying to achieve racist goals. And so who, like, for example, do you have someone off offhand that, that um, is, so, well, uh, um, uh, the, there's, there's a lot of names involved with this, but uh, it'll be easier just to talk about like this one. There's a particular example of a law, which is okay. so in um, in North Carolina. Okay, uh, North North Carolina passed a uh, a voter omnibus bill, basically making a bunch of changes to their uh, to their voting uh, their voting uh, rules and policies and all that kind of stuff. Now, previously. North Carolina was, was restricted from making changes to their laws by the Voting Rights Act uh, because they had such a long history of intentionally trying to prevent black people from voting, okay? And so it was uh, section five in the Voting Rights Act, I think, uh, but the, the preclearance section is what it was called. So anytime one of the states that was required to get preclearance, when and whenever they wanted to make a change to their voting laws, they had to get permission from the Justice Department and, uh, and show them these are the changes we're going to make, and show that these changes uh, wouldn't cause undue racial disparities. Okay. Now, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> the um, the Supreme Court decide in uh, Shelby County versus Holder, I think, decided, oh, you know what? Uh, you know, the 60s were a long time ago, so eh, screw it. And they tossed out section five, they tossed out the preclearance requirement saying, I'm sure that those states aren't nearly as racist as they used to be. And so that should be fine. Um, and the moment they tossed that out, like all of those states started putting a whole bunch of voter, voter laws in, like changing the voting rules intentionally to prevent black people from voting. North Carolina's was the most egregious. And the, the, the court actually found that, like, like said in their opinion, that it was essentially the closest thing to a smoking gun that you could imagine in, in this scenario. So what did they do? What are the changes that they made? We'll talk about the, briefly about those. Um, North Carolina already had voter ID law in place. It basically included, you know, like a long list of valid photo IDs, uh, including all government IDs, and it even allowed like an expired government ID. Because obviously, you know, if I have my driver's license that has my name and picture on it, okay, but it's valid ID. Here, I'm it's still the same guy, yes, right? Whether <laughs> it's expired or not, right? Right. Um, they had uh, several several weeks of early voting. They had, uh, they had things like same day registration so that uh, if you had moved and you didn't realize that your previous voter registration didn't apply anymore, you could fill out same day a new voter registration and cast your vote. And then they would validate your registration before counting your vote, that kind of thing. It was all basic, very common sense stuff, no big deal. So the changes they made were they 
um, restricted the list of acceptable IDs down to a very small number. They canceled uh, half of the, uh, actually, so I, 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 th I think they had two weeks of early voting they uh, they, and they, they brought it down to one. So they cut, cut it in half and they did away with the same day registration. And they also did away with another thing called uh, like out of precinct voting where if you didn't realize like your place had, had moved locations and you went to a different place, you could still vote. And then once they realized you were voting out of precinct, they would just apply your ballot in the other precinct and any of the things in your real precinct that overlapped with the ballot that you did file, you know, they would take those votes and then any of the ones that didn't apply from your precinct, they would just toss away. Again, that behavior was common sense, but they got rid of that too. Now, that's what government does. They get rid of common sense <laughs> things, unfortunately. Um, okay, so none of these things sound racial, right? Right. So, but here's the deal is uh, through the court case that, that, uh, that, that brought all the stuff out, the you know, documents were subpoenaed, the, the government records were subpoenaed that showed that the Republican legislature that put together this new voting omnibus bill, when they were deciding which voter IDs to accept and which voter IDs to exclude, they asked the uh, the organization that does their their, their data collection, you know, for government, uh, uh, like for bills and things, to provide them with a list of the most used voter IDs, segregated by race. Right now, there shouldn't be a a reason for that. I, I mean, I can come up with one, and I, and I'll say it, but there shouldn't be a reason for that. It should just be which ones are the ones most used. Doesn't make matter. sure we, let's make sure we cover those. But, and let's say that like the, the, the good, if you wanted to take a good spin on it, you could say, well, we wanted to get it broken down by race so that we didn't accidentally prevent a whole bunch of black people from voting by excluding the IDs that a disproportionate number of black people have, right? You could say they wanted that data just to make sure that they didn't accidentally pick ones without realizing that they were going to be discriminatory. But the result was that the list that they chose to be approved were the ones that white people were most likely to have and black people were least likely to have. Okay. That, like, is, that is fishy at best. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and the thing is, is that, right, you don't have to prevent all black people from voting in order to change an election. Right. If you can shift things by 1%, so many of these races are so close, right? All yeah, you have to do is shift it a saw. little bit. Yeah, yeah, right? Okay, so that was one, right? And the, the court found that like, it wasn't, this was shown in the documents, um, right? They explicitly requested the racial data for the voter ID. And then it went to, to early voting and they found, they wanted to know how many, how many of their citizens used early voting and they wanted it broken down by race and they found that that's uh, strike two in people, the book right there yeah uh, and then, uh, like black people disproportionately used early voting more than white people white people tended to vote on vote uh, on election day as opposed to early voting and 
one of the the one of the the mechanics of that was the what's called souls to the poles. You've probably heard that phrase. It was yeah. essentially right. Butts, butts they, in the seats, they, get people there. Yeah, they'd bring a they'd bring a bus to the church parking lot. Everybody like everybody go to church Sunday morning, hop in the bus, drive over, vote. Yeah. Right. And so they cut down, they got rid of the Sunday early voting to cut down on that. Right. And the same goes for the uh, the, the same goes for like the same day registration and the out of precinct voting. What they found, like again, they requested that data racially segregated. And that one doesn't seem to have an inherent racial bias, but what it, uh, the, and this goes back to your idea about how making everything racial, right? Like, oh, that seems like a bad idea, but because of the longstanding history that we have, where it, it has been hard over the previous generations, harder for the, over the previous generations, you know, for black people to accumulate wealth, uh, you know, like as, as much as white people do, and I, I know not every white person is wealthy and not every black person is poor. Okay. So pe some people might hear me say this and then think those things, but I'm not saying that right. We're talking about averages and comparisons and relative numbers here. Um, people who relied on that same day registration and out of precinct voting were basically people who move a lot, right? People who didn't have the money to buy a house and settle down people who were renting and had to move around. And so it tended to fall, uh, it tended to disenfranchise more poor people than, than wealthy people or middle-class people, right? And unfortunately, because of the way things have been over the course of, uh, of the country, the, like when something falls disproportionately on the backs of poor people, it also falls disproportionately on the backs of people of color. And so, Basically, like the Republican legislature in North Carolina, without ever putting the word race into their law, explicitly, like, you know, like took uh, racial data, explicitly took racial data and analyzed it and then turned it into what appeared to be neutral language that wasn't racially based, but everybody in the room knew it was racially based. And when the court looked at the documents and all the subpoenaed stuff, made it very clear and you know like basically overturned their, their 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 voting their voting changes because it was as they said it, they said it was a smoking gun of racism so that that's the kind of thing that that right that, that that's one of the concepts that the real critical race theory is trying to get at which is that we can have laws that are that seem to be race neutral but because of the underlying system they're still they're still discriminatory and we shouldn't blind ourselves to that information right because then we might not be able to see what the solution is quick break we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor hey guys if you haven't heard about anchor it's the easiest way to make a podcast let me explain one it's free two there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Three, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many others. Four, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And five, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. It is so stinking easy. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You will not be disappointed. 
And we're back. I have another example, but I don't know if you have any questions about that or thoughts on that. No, I'm just thinking of, you know, even when you're talking about, you know, because I hear voter ID laws are, are racist and discriminatory. And I'm, I'm always thinking, maybe I'm thinking very basic. You need an ID to vote. What's the problem with that? But obviously there's more to it. So I think for every discussion you're having with someone, we need to find, okay, what is what does voter ID law mean? So at least, at least for the sake of the discussion, we're talking about the same thing, which is kind of what we're doing. Right. But, yeah, and, right. And it's a very, I think that's a very natural response. Like, you know, well, what's the big idea? Everybody's got an ID, right? But not, a, not everybody has an ID. And sometimes to get one, you need documents that you don't necessarily have on hand or can get access to. So for example, like when a lot of the voter ID laws were going into place, you know, there's a lot of stories about people who are, you know, elderly who have been voting for, you know, 40, 50, 60 years at this point. And in order to go get an ID that's valid to vote, they need an original copy of their birth certificate. Which right? is, but they're living in Pennsylvania now, yeah. or they're living in Massachusetts now, and they never had an original copy of their birth certificate when they were born in Louisiana 80 years ago. And it's not cheap to get to like get an out-of-state government to send you an original copy because you also have to find all the information. And right, oh, it's an, it's I might amazing. be able to pull that off because I can do anything like online, but not everybody can, right? And that, and so yeah it's a i think it's a, a very natural response for someone who grew up always having an id around people who always had ids to think well what's the big deal and that's again another one of those examples where you where you hear that well why are you putting race into everything right like rice doesn't need to be race doesn't need to be in everything we can say that because our experience growing up that the, the thing that you know like that particular topic didn't didn't seem to have a racial component to it but once you start looking at other other folks experience that aren't the same race you start suddenly start to realize that like you know oh my my experience wasn't the same as theirs isn't the same as theirs yeah and so race did have an impact on it but because you know my race wasn't the one being impacted <laughs> i never noticed it was happening type of a thing Oh, that's a fair point. Interesting you say that because right now uh, my daughter is dating a, a young black man from Arkansas. He came out to Utah to play football and we are trying to, his license expired. And it's been three months that they've been dating on and off and trying to get that young man a social security card so he can get his ID redone has been a freaking nightmare. Mm -hmm. He doesn't, his mom doesn't have anything. I mean, he's from a pretty rough background trying to find anything and get, it, it is a logistical nightmare. So I, I can see now just the, the struggles we've gone through to try to get him just to get his license made valid or made, you know, up to date. Mm -hmm. It is ridiculous. The amount of governmental hoops you got to go through and you send documents in and that's not the right one. And then of course, generally speaking, people in government, aren't real proactive, not really interested in solutions because they don't have any competition. That's another another conversation, but so I'm seeing it. I'm basically seeing a little bit of that. Right. 
And yeah, I think that's a perfect example. And I also think that I, I agree, like, you know, the, when you have a gigantic bureaucracy, it's hard to, it's hard to get things done. Right. And it's been my experience that uh, private corporations are also like that when they get large enough. Uh, it's not just a government thing, but basically it's any large bureaucracy. It's a monopoly mentality almost. It's hard, it's hard to move through. Like I, I, uh, I, I did some contracting work uh, like to software development work for Nike uh, many years ago. And right, Nike is a gigantic corporation and it was, uh, it was hell sometimes just trying to get through the red tape, you know? And so, uh, yeah. Now, w one of the other aspects is that, yeah, we both agree inherently like, right. The government bureaucracy is hard to move through. You're seeing it like, which is a, a, that's a great example. And then I think if you compound that with the fact that generally, you know, Republicans, conservatives are the ones pushing for the voter ID laws. And also Republicans and conservatives are generally the one pushing to restrict the government budgets, which would be the things that we would need to pay to make these things work well, right? So you've got, right? There's sort of like two levers they're pulling on at the same time where they wanna make the government slow down and work bad because that goes along with their belief that the government is bad. And then they also require that you use this thing that they just made not work very well in order to get your ability to vote, right? Well, it's, a, so it's, it's a freaking sham, Yeah, you know, on so many levels. Right, right. Which is another conversation, <laughs> but. The, one of the other examples, because uh, I wanted to make sure to give uh, a couple for, for those who are interested, you know, the, the North, that North Carolina law, that, right, that was a state law. Uh, and so I wanted to make sure to have like a federal law as an example as well. Um, are uh, what are called mandatory minimums. So this is a, a series of federal laws that were passed that put in a mandatory minimum sentence for various crimes, right? In an attempt to kind of like standardize across the board because there were, um, you know, problems in, uh, in sentencing disparities from state to state, district to district, and from uh, you know, um, defendant to defendant, right? And so they were trying to put in a, th these mandatory minimums to kind of even things out. But it went wildly off the rails in certain points. And one of the prime examples is the mandatory minimum for crack versus powder cocaine. Okay, so I, I know you're a big crackhead, you do crack all the time, so you know all this information. But just in case anybody else who isn't, you know, a big crackhead uh, right. doesn't, you know, doesn't my know. crackhead listeners. Yes, exactly. They, uh, so when we talk about crack, crack is actually just cocaine, but it's uh, mixed with, you know, like some baking soda and, and put together into different formats so that it's smoked as opposed to powder cocaine, which is snorted, right? And that's pretty much the only difference. It's the same drug, but generally like crack tends to be cheaper because the when they're cutting it with baking soda that can, means they can stretch it out a little bit more and so it's cheaper and so there's the, the there over time has grown this idea or the, the like this prevalence that crack tends to be used in poorer areas and coke tends to be used by richer people right that's 
that's the quintessential Wall Street picture, right? There's a bunch of dude bros snorting coke. And then here's where the mandatory minimum comes into play. The, like, so the mandatory minimum for crack cocaine was set up to be literally 100 times higher than the mandatory minimum for powder cocaine. And seems, so mathematically seems really ridiculous. It's the same stuff. Right? That's kind of the point. And, and so basically this fell disproportionately on black people because it tended to fall disproportionately on poor people. Um, and so this is now the, and a funny follow-up to that is um, I can't remember the year, maybe 2012 or it could be 2018. I can't remember off the top of my head. Sorry. Um, the uh, Congress tried to pass an update Tried, tried to pass an amendment to the uh, to the the mandatory minimums to fix the disparity, and the fix brought it down to just eighteen to one instead of a hundred to one. <laughs> like wow. they could, they, they still couldn't just make it one to one. So, this is an example, right? It, the law doesn't have to say, and black people get you know sentenced to a hundred times longer than white people. It there's other ways, right? You could think about it like you could pass a law that had to do with, um, I, don't, I don't know, it's a ridiculous thought, but like taxing people on drinks that don't have caffeine, right? And you think, okay, well, that doesn't mention Mormons, but that certainly lands on Mormons, right? Or passing a law that puts restrictions or taxes or something on, you know, going door to door and proselytizing right that's not going to just land on mormons that'll hit jehovah's witnesses too but you know it like it, like it's going to yeah, land yeah. on mormons right, <laughs> right? Yeah. uh and so right the the law itself doesn't have to say who it's discriminating against in order for it to still be discriminatory but if you just look at the base language you'll never see it right you have to look at the practicality of it so i i just want people to understand that there's a lot of fear going around about quote unquote critical race theory but remember that the actual theory is not a thing that's being taught in elementary schools it's it's a legal theory it's for law schools and people in the law profession but so where like where you know obviously someone can just do a google search but where where do you recommend someone go because i was trying to how do you you know i was trying to find it just you, you type in critical race theory and you're going to get oh, yeah. things of youtube videos that are for and against and how does someone find out and then how do they i mean if i guess if it's a case law type situation and it's legit how do they search research that so they're not so freaked out is we, what we fear what we don't understand and we definitely don't understand this because there's a lot of fear going around i've felt it you know based on the things i've seen i'm like that seems kind of scary and not so good yeah that's why you're, you're absolutely right and that's why uh, Christopher Rufo, the guy that sort of started this whole thing, has been so incredibly successful. He he created this moral panic, and it has bloomed. It is it is spread, and it's impossible now, right? To just if you were on the outside, really just trying to find the real information. If you go on Google and you search critical race theory, man, it's not you're not going to get you're not going to get results that make it clear and you're still going to be confused because so i've listened to 
I've read a ton of articles and I've listened to a lot of podcasts and you know, like various things, right? To try to figure out this exact answer, like what is this stuff? And the, oh, I don't know if you can hear that. Um, I can, but you heard my dog, so it's okay. It's fair. <laughs> my dog, my dog alarm system. One of the things that may also makes it difficult is because it really is an academic theory, a lot of the places that you go and try to find out about it will have on right an academic who actually is in, is involved with it which is great right a, a lot of the people who were asking questions are like you know hey who's this kenny guy what kind of qualifications what, what's his street cred right and you know what i've listened to a bunch of podcasts and i've read a bunch of articles from people who are directly involved with critical race theory and they speak like academics and so a lot of people aren't going to hear and understand what they're saying because they're talking at three different levels based on books that you've never heard of before. And they're making references to things that we don't even realize are references to things. So it's tough. You're absolutely right. Other than doing a whole bunch of the work that I've been trying to do myself to try to figure out what this whole thing is about. Um, I, I, I don't have a great answer on that. You know, I mean, you can look up Christopher Rufo, uh, R-U-F-O. Yeah, so what hit, what, so, has anyone ever asked him like what was your intention for doing this was he was he oh, trying yeah. to stir yes shit up yes yeah there was um, so yes. what's, what's he gaining by this um well he, he he he's now almost a regular on tucker carlson and he got to get fly, flown out to the white house to work on an executive order with him and 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 he's now been like added to the board of several like conservative think tanks i mean he's getting so, he's getting a ton of love out of this. Yeah, he's getting a ton probably, of love. I'm sure of he's translating that into good money. Yeah. But yeah, yeah he's like he started he started in Seattle and basically the, the he, he started um sparking the panic by talking about um training sessions that were being done um in in Seattle, but some some by like pri a lot of them by private corporations usually, which is funny because He's then stoking the fear to make you think that the government is doing all these things to you. But then when you look through all of his examples, uh, they're actually about a bunch of like private co companies doing like bringing in like third party trainers to kind of train people about racial sensitivity and things like that. Um, in, in fact, one of the people who posted a question on your Facebook of an example of like, here's a crazy thing that critical race theory is doing. <clears throat> if you click through to it, it actually goes to Christopher Rufo's blog, um, okay. which I, I found funny, right? Like, because it's perfect, right? So he's done a really good job. And um, there was a there was an article, was I, I think the New Yorker did an interview with him. Um, let me see if I still have that around. Um, yeah, the New Yorker. Uh, it's entitled "How a Conservative Activist Invented the Conflict Over Critical Race Theory," and they talk with him, and they have quotes from from him during the interview where basically, yeah, he's saying that his intention was to to stir this up and that, that like the term critical race theory was such a perfect term because every single word in it, you know, was sort of like triggering right? to the heart of everyone. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and he was like doubly excited about using this term as a, as a wedge because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a term that conservatives came up and then tried to smear, you know, liberals with or whatever, right? It was 
a term that these theorists applied to themselves, right? <laughs> and, and it's because there's, uh, because it's actually an academic term, right? There's different schools of thought, there's analytical and critical and, you know, and, and so when they talk about critical race theory, it's not that they're being critical of race or critical of race theory, right? It's, it's just, it's a type of, uh, of like philosophical evaluation as opposed to an analytical uh, evaluation, which is just uses a different uh, approach kind of a thing. But yeah, so he, you know, he said that it was such a good word, such a good phrase that uh, he could stir people up with. Like that's what he was saying. I mean, I, I just, I can only guess that the amount of homework you put in to your, I'm like, I don't, I don't have the time. I guess I can make the time, but I know you spend a lot more time doing stuff like this than I do. People don't have time. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to function and survive and live and, you know, put food on the table and pay their bills and avoid the tax man. So they know it's almost like my guess is they probably bantered this about that. Yeah. We know nobody's not really going to, they're not going to really look into this, but there's enough sex in it enough to, to get people riled up and it's it is working yeah absolutely and yeah this is sort of a you know like uh like politics are a passion for me it's what i spend a lot of my my time on and i work for myself uh and so i have i have the flexibility in my schedule and yeah. which is um, nice yeah and so it allows me the the the, the privilege to spend the time learning about these topics and going and finding different sources and trying to get the different perspectives and spending that time that, yeah, most people can't do. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I get it. it. It's tough. And so I, I really just want people to have like to get this other voice that, you know, to, to, to hopefully hear what I'm trying to say here so that they won't be as scared. I know that, not a lot of people are going to believe me or. Uh, I don't know. It, my theory and those who are like, say, do when, when I first started, when you and I first crossed paths online, I hated everything you said and it, it rubbed me wrong and it got my guts churning because the conservative viewpoint was all I'd ever been really exposed to. Mm -hmm. So everything you said was like, that's wrong. That's BS. But you did it in such a way, and I praise you all the time about this on other, I talked to you, you are like my model, man. You're like my guinea pig. That I've, I've heard, not a I've heard some references over the, over the various episodes, and I appreciate it. Thank you. And, you know, it's, and I tell people, it's like, yeah, you might not agree, but you don't have to be an asshole about it. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I remember at least one of those in the, Yeah. The, resp the, the response was not my favorite, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I agree. So, and I mean, I know that I, I can definitely be a jerk, right? That because also after so many years of having these conversations online, it's hard to maintain patience, but yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm an engineer, I'm a software engineer and I'm probably a little bit, you know, like neuro atypical. I don't think the way that everybody else thinks because I've spent my entire life trying to think in code. So I'm very... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> very literal. I'm very, you know, like, et cetera. But um, the, I, one of the things that I've tried to uh, really, really work on, really train myself to do is to uh, also question the things in my own liberal bubble. Like I will see people post stuff that are in my liberal bubble 
And I look at it and I go, I don't, I don't think that's true. And, you know, like I, I will fact check my own liberal friends when they post stuff that I would love for it to be true or rather it, I, I, I don't like these things. I don't necessarily want them to be true, but they would appeal to my inherent bias. And I've, I've tried very hard to train myself to resist that. I mean, we're, I'm, I'm human. I still have to constantly struggle against it, but right. I, I have no problem. I have no problem criticizing liberals and Democrats when, when they mess up. And like, I don't, I don't think like the, the Democrats that I vote for, I don't think they're perfect. I think they've got some serious problems. I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm trying to pick the best of what I got. So, and how dare you judge people by the content of their character. I'm you, trying. You're messing up the whole system, man. I'm trying, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think if people, and I, I, I beat, again, I beat this drum all the time, just ask questions, get to know why someone thinks the way they think before you just destroy them. I have my, my daughter was commenting on this, this thread, or no, the, 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 the um, border patrol one. Mm-hmm. And one of my high school friends started, they started going back and forth and my daughter started to get a little snarky. And so I said, Hey, she's like, well, he started the snark first. I'm like, okay, yes, he did. But be the bigger person because it, it, no one's, you know, as we, as you know, how many people's opinions have changed? Cause we got into a Facebook discussion. Uh, none yeah. that I'm aware of. I mean, maybe a few, but it's incredibly rare. Unless, like, because you and I've been doing this for eight years, back and mm-hmm. forth, and that's crazy. Um, yeah, it's taken that long. I mean, no, I mean, I, I kind of warmed up to you right away after I was frustrated, but d- d- just coming in and lobbing a few bombs in a conversation and then leaving serves right. no purpose. Anyway, that's a well, whole I, discussion. Yeah, I, I feel you, and I, I also, I also understand that that urge, like the the snark is strong. And yeah, the, you just and want to destroy it. somebody. Boom! Suck it. You know, he, he, I get it. And, and certainly, after so many years of basically having the same conversation, you know, um, it's it's even harder because so many times, you know, like someone will respond and say something that to them maybe is new, or they think that maybe it's new to me. But man, I've heard it a thousand times. You know, and so it's hard to not respond like oh, come on man i've, I've already heard that. <laughs> yeah, i've been there done that design the t-shirt man yeah yeah mm-hmm. for oh. you it would be design the t design the machine that designed the t-shirt that would be there, there. Yeah, I'm, I'm more of a software guy as opposed to a hardware guy so yeah so <laughs> still works still applies still absolutely applies. absolutely yeah i can make computers do whatever i want that's my magic that's well i'm glad you're in the world because i can't but okay <laughs> Well, I think we've made some progress here. I know a little bit more, and that was one of my intentions was just, at least I think I have a better understanding of what it is. I'm not so freaked out, and I will, yes, I will still watch those videos, I'm sure, but I will think I will do it with a different mindset of maybe there's more to it than, than you know, there's always more to the story than we see. I think that's great. You know, so um, wrapping up here, and anything that I haven't asked you that you want to share with someone about this or maybe another something else they can do to, to educate themselves. Sure. Um, 
so the, one of the other kind of hot button topics that gets pinned together with um, quote unquote critical race theory uh, is the 1619 project, which is a, uh, you know, it's a, it's an attempt to kind of look at our history and pay pay more attention to the times that our racial disparities and discrimination have played a larger part than we're normally used to hearing, right? Like it's, uh, I don't know if you ever watched the, uh, um, the, the show, The Watchmen on uh, HBO, no. um, which was a, an absolutely fantastic uh, show based in the Watchmen universe based on the gra graphic novel, which is fantastic as well. You know, uh, at the beginning of that, the beginning of that series so no spoilers because it's the very first scene is um uh the tulsa race massacre and mm -hmm. most people have never heard of it uh, i had heard of it a couple of years earlier and so when it started up i was like oh no this is gonna be bad but you know learning about those types of things is what the 1619 project uh is about it's kind of it's, it's an attempt to look at our history without the rose-colored glasses and try to really actually look at the stuff that was happening. So I know that one's a hot button because it's the New York Times and it's the liberal media, right? But this information isn't being invented by the New York Times. This is all historical stuff that they're offering. And so if someone is interested, like that's not a terrible place to start. Uh, it may be a little bit big, but you can you can bite off little pieces of it and just kind of take a look at their the 1619 project uh, that they have their website. Um, it'll you know walk you walk you through a little bit. Um, uh, other than that, you know, basically chew on something you're uncomfortable with. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I think a lot of it, because I've I have heard horror stories of the 169 project, and I have also see like if I'm listening to radio. I'll listen mm -hmm. to conservative conservative radio, and then I'll listen to NPR to try to, to try to balance as best I can. Mm -hmm. And there is definitely a difference between the two. Right. Um, and I've heard that it's the greatest thing since you know chocolate, because sliced bread's pretty boring. Um, Thank you, I appreciate that. I hate that phrase. Right, me too. Since sliced bread, like that's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, so yeah, and uh, I agree, right? Like I said, it's the 1619 project is kind of one of those uh, like trigger words at this point. But you know, maybe if you take a look at it and then compare that to the catastrophizing language, right? The catastrophic language that you might hear, like from various conservative media, and then you look at it, and maybe it's not actually that big of a deal. Just saying that, hey. You know, we've had some racial problems throughout the throughout the the ages, right? And maybe we need to pay a little bit more attention to this so that we can do better going forward. Yeah, which racial problems have been going on since the beginning of time. Right. Um, no, I watched an, an interview with the the founder of sixteen nine project, sixteen nineteen project. As I was trying to do some research before you and I talked, and mm -hmm. and it wasn't as dark and creepy and scary as I thought it would be. Right, it's just yeah. kind of like a history class, but slightly you know like but covering it's, it's you like didn't you necessarily said, get in your american history class yeah and i remember our first interview we had a few years ago ideas 
just because someone subscribes to an idea that doesn't make them the devil mm-hmm. if they, they agree with an idea they may think the idea is stupid but i don't know i think we just be a little kinder a little softer chew on things we don't necessarily you know, like or are comfortable going to and people it's easy to go to it's easy for me to turn on the radio and go right to doc radio mm-hmm. it's easy for me to go on youtube and go to the things that i'm comfortable with it's easy right. for everyone to do that even trying to find stuff that I that I know is going to be uncomfortable, it's hard to find. Sometimes, yeah, takes some effort. So, yeah, you usually find those things through your you know social media, so through your connections and your friends. But that also tends to be fairly you know homogenous, right? Yep. Yep. Pretty much, pretty much everybody on my uh, you know Facebook friends list is a a, a bleeding heart liberal, right? yeah, but with rare exception. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I get it. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate you doing your homework and sharing that with me. And I'm sure people will, you know, be interesting to see the comments and it'd be fun. I enjoy it. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you again for listening to the Parish the Thought Show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com slash feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us. You're still here? Click on the next episode for more from the Parish the Thought Show.